0: Good to see everyone out this morning. I invite you to open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Really want to focus on uh, a few verses here in chapter 3 that Paul begins with, uh, or not begins with, but Paul discusses in the middle of this uh, letter to the Philippians while he's in prison. Before we get to that, though, as always, it's just good to be with you and be able to sing praises to God, be able to study his word, study it just a little bit more for a few moments this morning as we go throughout this uh, passage in Philippians chapter 3. We're going to be turning to multiple passages, but I really just want to focus on on uh, something that Paul says here and something that Paul says in 1 Corinthians. But as he's going through this chapter, he begins and, and, and really continues on by talking about things that he has suffered and the deeds that he has done specifically in the Lord's name and for the glory of the Lord. Now, why has he done all of this? Well, you get to the verse verses 7 and 8 and onward, and he talks about how he's doing this specifically because he's, he wants to be in union with Christ's death and his resurrection as you get to verse 11. And so... All of this is done so that way he can be closer to Christ when he's living and so he can be with Christ when he is no longer on this earth. And really that's what he started Philippians with in Philippians chapter 1, for to me to live as Christ and to die is gain in verses uh, 21 and onward. Now, though Paul is confident in his salvation through Jesus, you can tell that he is confident of his salvation all the way throughout the epistle. The inexpressible joy that he talks about while in prison again. He is able to have that kind of confidence. He's able to have this kind of assurance because of what the Bible teaches us about uh, what, what happens when we become a part of Christ's kingdom. But even though he is sure and he is confident of that salvation in Christ, what he says is that there's a need to press on. And so let's pick up in verse 12 of Philippians chapter 3. Verse 12 of Philippians chapter 3, it says... Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And ultimately what I think he's doing is what he always does, like you have in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. What he wants is for these people to see this kind of joyful disposition that he has, even in these kinds of circumstances. And he wants people to be just as sure of the work that Christ has done in them, but he wants them to remember that just because you have this beautiful relationship with Christ, just because you have this salvation and you have this work that he has completed in you, don't or, or that he has begun in you, don't think that there's any more for you to do. Don't think that there's not a need for you to continue to press on. And one of the things that I th- think is revealed here, one of the main things is the temptations that come along the way that keep us from pressing on in our lives as Christians, in our lives as trying to follow after Christ. And so first of all, I just want to focus on this notion of of the fact that we are supposed to be people that are constantly reaching forward. This is uh, a consistent way that Paul talks about our, our life as Christians on this earth. He often refers to it as a race. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, a very familiar passage, but what is he talking about but how he has come to the end of the end of his life he has finished the course or finished the race he has fought the good fight over in acts chapter 20 in verse 24 as he is speaking with the elders from Ephesus he says in verse 24 but i do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that i may finish my course and the ministry which i received from the lord jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of god and so what does he say here before he's in prison, before he's actually get, getting to the end of his life, he says, "I consider my life as nothing." Why? Because I want to make sure that I finish this race. I need to make sure that I'm focused on continuing down this path. And this is and we're going to look at several other passages that refer to our life as Christians on this earth in the same kind of way. In fact, if you would just turn to First Corinthians chapter nine, First Corinthians chapter nine, this is the second passage that I really wanted to focus on this morning, alongside Philippians chapter three. Because I think that this passage in particular shows us how we are supposed to run. If this life is a race, if we are supposed to treat it as such, how are we supposed to run it? And I think that this passage especially gives us some key indicators of how we are to proceed. So in verse 24 of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says, Do you not know that all those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable uh, wreath. But we, an imperishable Therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others I myself will not be disqualified. And so there's a few things that I want to note here. But all throughout what you know, we you start in verse 24 he says, "Run in such a way that you may win. Not everyone receives the prize." Now he's using earthly terms of the competition and sports to make a higher application, to make a spiritual application. He's not saying that only one person is going to receive salvation, then everyone else in existence won't. What he's saying is you need to run in such a way as if that is the case. You need to take it so seriously that you don't stop running. And so just three things that I want to take from this passage here. And the first thing I think of how we're supposed to run is with aim. He even at least the New American Standard uses that word in this passage, as he says in verse. 26, therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. What does that mean, that he's not without aim? It means that he's running towards something. He's aiming for something. There's a target ahead. This means that we're the kind of people that look ahead beyond just the here and now, just the momentary pleasures that are so easy to get caught up in. There's a book that I really liked uh, that I read a few years ago. It's called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. I think that's how you say his name. Many of you have probably read it before. I I think it's a really good book. I think it's interesting and I, I think it's very helpful because a lot of it is supposed to be coming from biblical principles. But when you look at the second rule there, the first rule is be proactive, but that and the second rule go hand in hand, I believe, because as you get to the second rule, it is begin with the end in mind or begin with the goal in mind. Now, you would look at that and you'd say, why is that important, especially as you're reading a book that's about kind of self-help and trying to progress your own uh, character, maybe progress your own goals. But doesn't that kind of help us accomplish what we're trying You have to know what you're trying to achieve. You have to know what you're running for. You have to know what you're aiming for. Because if you don't know, you're directionless. There is no target to hit. If there is no aim, well, frankly, you're going to get lost very quickly. And you're probably going to quit very quickly. When there's no end in sight, how easy is it to become despondent and say, I'm done, forget it. But what Paul says is, we have to, likewise, run with the end goal in mind. And what is that end goal? We are reaching forward to heaven. That is what every Christian's goal is supposed to be. Now, I think that this, uh, when you look at just the book in itself, when it comes to self-help, people don't even like that from a, standpoint, from a carnal standpoint, an earthly standpoint. They don't like to have to think ahead. Many people don't like to have to put much deep thought into things. We don't like to think that far ahead into the future, unless we're talking about a vacation. But if we're not talking about that, I don't really want to think that far ahead. I just want to do what I need to do now. It's too hard. It's too complicated. It makes things just a little bit more, uh, you know, a little bit more uncomfortable or difficult because you have to make plans. You have, as you're making those plans, you have to dedicate yourself to maybe certain milestones to get to before you can actually achieve that goal. And so this is certainly not popular within our culture today because it is much easier. And and really I think it's much more natural for us to only think about what's easiest right now. When someone starts a diet, what is easiest? Saying no to the bag of Doritos or no to the bag of Oreos? Or is it easier to just eat it because it's right there and it's wonderfully tasty? And I know that I've used the the example of Oreos (laughs) even recently, but I think it really makes the point here. It's easiest right now to eat it. It's not so easy to abstain from that desire. But because a lot of times we just we, we want to get we wanna, that instant gratification. We instantly want that pleasure. Now what is the importance of this when it comes to our spiritual lives, when it comes to living our lives on this earth as a Christian? Well, what this does, if we start with the aim in mind, when we, when we start with the goal in mind, with heaven on, in our minds, This changes our perspective on what's going on around us. And I really do think that's important. When you begin a race, if you don't think that there's going to be a finish line, who's going to start that race? If you don't think there's going to be a reward, what's the point? And so when someone begins running that marathon, they go through a lot of suffering. I mean, honestly, they go through a lot of suffering. And, and when you think about not just a marathon, but when people exercise, there is a lot of burn. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of pain. Now, some people would say that's good pain, but those are the crazy people, right? <laughs> but why do they go through that? Because there's an aim inside. They have a goal in mind that they are trying to achieve. If you don't have any goal, that suffering is meaningless. But when you know what you're reaching forward to, that suffering gains meaning. The hurt, the pain gains meaning. Meaning. And so that's why we have to start with the end goal in mind. Motivation is much more attainable. You know, especially when people start to exercise, it's very hard to be motivated to get up early in the morning before work and have to do that workout. Or it's hard to get home after a long day of work and say, I need to get this done. Again, if there is not going to be any reward, why would we even go through that? But the reason people do that is because they want to lose some weight. The reason people do that is because they need their health to get better. And so... With the aim in mind, it makes these things easier. It changes our perspective, not from, this is impossible to achieve, but there is a very real tangible goal that I can make it to. And what God says is from the very beginning is, our goal, our reward, heaven, you can make it. Not on your own, you have to do it on Christ, but you can make it, it's not impossible. Now, if we don't have heaven as that end goal, if if we don't start with it in mind, we will not make it. And I really think that segues into our next point, which is from 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Not only do we have to have aim, but we have to have discipline. Now, what do I mean by this? Really, I think what it's talking about is a willingness, a dedication to work hard. Your translation may say, instead of discipline, in verse 27, it may say the word bruise. In fact, there's a footnote in my uh, Bible that, right next to the word discipline that says bruise because that's literally what it means. In fact, here's a funny little anecdote. Go over to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. This is the parable of the unrighteous judge. And you remember this parable because here is uh, Jesus is trying to teach about being persistent in our prayers. And as he comes to this parable of the unrighteous judge, he, he really talks about this older woman, this older widow that keeps coming to the judge and is persistent. And because of her persistence, look at the judge's response. Purely worldly minded, not someone who really cares about spiritual things, not a righteous man by any means. But in verse 5, it says, that the the judge says, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. That's the same word for discipline. And what is he saying? I'm not going to be able to handle this much longer. And, And so when Paul says, I discipline my body, I bruise my body, what he's saying is, he is wearing himself out. Going back to verse 27 of 1 Corinthians, he's saying, so that I will not be disqualified, so that I will be successful in this race that I am running currently. Now I, I remember uh, when I was playing when I was playing rugby a few years ago, during the practices, what the coaches would say, and Paige's dad was one of the coaches, which was interesting because we were dating at the time, so He liked to punish me during those practices, but that's just a side point. Anyway, during those practices, what the coaches would frequently say, including him, was if you go all out right now, you know, even at the end of the practice, you've been running really hard all all day, and you've really tuckered yourself out, but if you go even more right now, and you really burn yourself out, the second half of the match that's coming up on Saturday, it's going to be all the the more easy. It's going to be all the more attainable, and why? Because if I wear myself out in a controlled environment, I'm going to be much more prepared for when it's not a controlled environment anymore. And I think that this is one of the one of the most crucial elements of being a Christian. Too many times I think we're not preparing ourselves for when we're not going to have any control in the situation. We know that that's coming, but we don't like to prepare for those situations. In fact, we were talking earlier in the Bible class while we were going over Hebrews chapter 9. That, we, there, there, you know, we, we discussed a few things and we started talking about how especially in the first century the Christians had to deal with much really just, just evil behavior from the government and they would receive much persecution and we talked about the need to make sure that we act the way we're supposed to if ever that happens and let me tell you something more and more it looks like we're getting closer to the first century I don't think we're as close as other people say but we are getting closer and remember history is cyclical there may, and there probably more so, will be a time when Christians, even in this country, struggle with persecution, and probably from the government. And what we're going to have to prepare for is that moment. We shouldn't wait till the moment when it's going to be hard, when we, when we need to give an answer to give an answer, and to prepare to give that answer. We need to be preparing now. If I'm not preparing now to make that answer then, I won't be prepared then. I won't be ready then. I'll fail. I will falter and so we discipline, we wear ourselves out now so that way when the time comes we will be ready and prepared to do so. When, when it's just too hard for everyone else to say, I believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It'll just be too hard when someone tries to tempt us, when the devil tries to tempt us. And we're not ready to say, I'm not going to go that far. If we're not preparing ourselves in this way, we will go that far. Now, how many of us are wearing ourselves out today to get to heaven Again, when you think about people that exercise, sometimes we look at these, you know, videos on TikTok or YouTube or whatever it comes up on and, and we're trying to learn how to go, you know, we're trying to learn how to better ourselves and we see people do these crazy exercises. And we and we look at that, and we say, that's crazy to do all that. Well it's worth it to them. And again, why? Because they have an aim in sight. They that reward is worth it to them. Is the reward worth it to us? To bruise ourselves. To discipline our bodies, to wear ourselves out, so that way we're ready to get to heaven. That way we are preparing ourselves for the 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 way which will be arduous and will become difficult at times. I think people would say similar things about Christians. That's just crazy to do some of the things that you do. It's crazy to go that extreme. It's crazy to just say no to going to the bar because you know maybe maybe your friends are doing that. You don't have to participate. It's just crazy that you're going to make a big stink and say no. Well, maybe to others. Maybe to the one that doesn't care about what Christ has said. But to me, who does care about what the king has declared and who does care about being with him in the end, you may think it's crazy, but it's worth it to me. It may be crazy for some people, especially for the younger folks, when when you say no to the Wednesday night game because I have a commitment to being with God's people on Wednesdays. That's ridiculous. Maybe to you, but not to me. Because this means more. People would say it's crazy to be at every single service, and you could go on and on and on, but it's worth it. Why? Because we love our King, and we want to be with Him in the end. And if we're not willing to go this far to discipline ourselves, to wear ourselves out, to do what needs to be done, to be with Christ, if heaven is not worth it, we won't make it, because we will concede. We will compromise when really we never should, and when Christ says we absolutely cannot. So we need to have aim. We need to run with an aim. We need to run with discipline, and we need to run with endurance. And I think that this is just kind of a part of you know the the language as we're talking about running in a race. Go over to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. Right after this, as we were talking about even earlier, this hall of faith, all of these wonderful stories of people that showed great faith in God's kingdom of God's people, you get to chapter 12, and he says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, I didn't want to step on my toes too much. I wanted to leave this especially for this point. But when you think about the aim, I think all too often people don't realize, just like Jesus, the joy set before him, there is joy set before us. I think sometimes we forget that this is a joyful goal. We are going to a place that is going to be worth it all. And not just worth it all. It is going to be beautiful to be there. We should be excited to get there. And I just wanted to bring that up before we continue on. But particularly as you think about running with endurance, the race set before us. This word is also translated throughout the New Testament as perseverance, steadfastness. We know what that means. It means an unwillingness to stop. When we have begun the race, it's an unwillingness to quit. When we have taken hold of Christ, it is a steadfastness. We are not willing to let him go. That's needed if you want to finish a race. That's needed if you want to finish a, finish a competition. And I think that's what Paul is talking about at the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. You run so that you will win. I remember reading a book uh, about a Navy SEAL. It was pretty fascinating, especially when you look at all the things they had to do to become Navy SEALs. It's very difficult. And there's one week in particular that they all refer to, and, and there's uh, the, the way that they refer to it, I won't refer to it in the pulpit, but it, it, it is one week that is just Non-stop exercise. It is non-stop hard pressing on the body. And not many people can do it. And that's why there's such a select group of people because there are only a few people that could have possibly go through that and that could finish that race. And as, he was, as this, the author was talking about how he got through it, essentially what every one of them had to do was say, maybe I can't even think about the end of the week because if you're starting at the beginning of the week, you still got six more days left. What they did was, I just got to get to the next hour. And then when they got to the top of the hour, guess what they did again? Got to get to the next hour. I just got to get my foot in front of the other. I just got to keep focusing on making the next step. I got to focus on getting to the next hour. And why? Because sometimes that's all that we can do. We're not going to lie up here and say that it's going to be easy every step of the way. That there's not going to be twists and turns. That there's not going to be hardship along the way. There will be. It's not going to all be easy. It's not going to all be comfortable. But that's why steadfastness, an unwillingness to let go of him, endurance, perseverance, an unwillingness to stop, it means that we're going to focus on just getting the next step forward. We're going to focus on getting one step closer to him. That's what matters most. And so I'm going to go even forward. Over in James chapter 1 very quickly, just want to look at what James says here at the beginning of James chapter 1. In verse 2 as he talks about some of these trials and tribulations we'll go through on the way he uses the same word for endurance here. In verse 2 it says consider it all joy my brethren when you encounter various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing. What Paul indicates here is or sorry what James indicates here is to be a mature Christian I must build up that endurance. I need to have endurance because if it's not there, I'm not at the level of maturity I want to be yet. And so am I building that up? Now, keeping all of this in mind, I want to focus on specifically verse 13 once more because not only does he say that we're reaching forward, but remember what he says in verse 13 of Philippians chapter 3? Not only are we supposed to be reaching forward towards the goal, towards heaven, but right before that, he says, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward. I think this is another thing that people sometimes forget. When we are reaching forward towards heaven, you can't be stuck in the past, I think what Paul is saying. You can't constantly be looking over your shoulder longing for what you had in the past. For the old man that was put to death in, at the cross. Now, I'll go over to Galatians chapter 1. Because when you look at what Paul is saying, Paul is the one that's saying this. And we remember the kind of man that Paul was before he became a Christian. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 13. Galatians 1 and verse 13. It says, For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. He said, I was persecuting the church, and I was doing it better than most people. And when you have this man saying, you need to forget what lies behind so that you can reach forward to heaven. I think we need to take what he says and we really need to apply it. We won't go to Acts chapter 22, but there again he just gives a a recount of, of how he used to persecute the church. What was Paul doing? What was he not allowing happen? He would not allow himself to let the past, his past, define his future. Now, I think that there are Christians that often do this today. Instead of doing what Paul says, we allow the past to define our future. And here's just a few ways. One, how do, how do we do this? I think by not letting go of our own guilt. Over in Acts chapter 9, once more, uh, the story of, of Paul here in his conversion. Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 18, after he had seen Jesus on the way to Damascus, Ananias, that certain disciple, came... to to Paul on Jesus' command, and he teaches him the gospel, tells him what he needs to do. In verse 18, he says, Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized, and he took food and was strengthened. Now for several days, he was with the disciples who were at Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. In verse 21, all those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on his name and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. I think sometimes people... I've talked with people before, people who essentially say, "I just I've done too much," or the sin that I've committed. I just don't think that I even belong here. I don't think that I should be here. I don't. I really don't belong to be here with God's people. There was someone that even did that when I was in Mississippi. Something had happened during the week, and they were just so distraught, and they felt terrible at how they reacted. And what was funny to me was, I think he reacted much more calmly than most people that I knew at the time. But but he was so ashamed of how we reacted. The thing that he said to us was, I, I just don't feel like I deserve to be here. And, and while I appreciate the shame that comes with bad behavior, with sinful behavior, what, I love, what we need to be careful about is that we don't go too far in the other direction and allow that guilt to take us down another path that Jesus is not leading us down, but the devil is. What was he saying? I don't feel like I should be here, and therefore I'm going to seclude myself. I'm going to keep myself away from God's people. That's the last thing you need to do. The the best thing for you is to be closer to them. But people do this all the time today. Christians do this all the time. We let our guilt, we let our past uh, issues, our past mistakes define our future. And we can't allow that to happen. We have to run with endurance. We have an aim in sight. And what we've done is forgotten that aim when we allow that to happen. So is that you, are you letting your guilt of past sins keep you from running this race with endurance, with steadfastness? Not only this, but I think obviously one of the main applications is people let the past define their future by not giving up their sin. You remember in Luke chapter 9 and verses, uh, I believe it's 56 through 62, Jesus is met, meets three different individuals. And some of them say, I'm going to follow you, but first let me do this. He invites one and says, You need to follow after me. And even he has an excuse. Every single one of them has an excuse. But you know how he ends that chapter in Luke chapter 9 and verse 62? When the final person says, I'm willing to follow you, but just give me a moment. I need to go do something else. What he says is, The one that puts his hand to the plow and looks back, he is not fit for the kingdom of God. You know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of Lot's wife. How many times do we see Christians, people who have said they have dedicated themselves to God, look back with longing at what is going to receive judgment and destruction? And what happens? They're not focused on what's ahead of them. They're not reaching forward. They're really reaching back because they missed those sins. They missed living that life. And what happened to Lot's wife? Well, the same things that were receiving judgment behind her that she was longing for ultimately made her succumb to the same judgment. That's what's going to happen if we're not willing to let our sins go and follow after Christ. Well, not only that, but we do this by not letting go of sin committed against us. Remember again what the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 12 as he talks about running with endurance. He says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. But before that, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. We're supposed to run with endurance. But how many times is it to, to forget that fact, forget that point that is so incredibly crucial when we are always only thinking about how certain individuals have treated me, what this person said to me. Maybe it's a brother or sister in Christ. They hurt me so bad. I'll tell you what the devil wants you to do. He wants you to become bitter And and instead of running with endurance, instead of running with an aim, now you're only focused on the bitterness, now you're only focused on the sin, and now you're ready to quit. That's what the devil wants. But what Jesus wants you to do is lay aside everything, every sin that so easily entangles us. What does that mean? I need to choose to let some things go. If it's a past injustice, if it's past hostility, Need to let those things go so that way I can run the way Jesus wants me to run now finally as Paul says that we need to press on verse 13 we talked about the need to reach forward and I think that is the main point we need to make sure we're not stuck in the past but what that immediately means as well is we're not stuck on the here and now the momentary pleasures the fact that Paul says to forget yesterday and focus on tomorrow he doesn't even mention today And what I think that emphasizes is, since it's not mentioned, that this life is not the focus. Go back to uh, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 very quickly. In verse 3, before you get to what we just read, our main text in in verses 12 through 14. Philippians chapter 3 in verse 3, he says, For we are the true circumcision, as he's talking about people who are coming in and trying to give false teaching, who worship in the Spirit of God and the glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcise the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count... All things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I might be in Christ. And so that's what's leading up to our main passage. Now, what is Paul saying? He didn't live for the today. He didn't live for the moment. He didn't live for everything that life had to offer right now. If he was, he would have taken advantage of all of these opportunities, all of these benefits, fleshly benefits, purely. But he says, no, none of that's worth it, because none of that gets me closer to Christ. It may get me closer to individuals that don't care about Christ, but it doesn't bring me closer to Him. And so, once more, as we were talking about a moment ago, I think this is something also that Christians do today. Living for the moment, living for today, living for what, what, what the flesh can bring. And one of the ways I think we do this is by finding more gain in material things than in Christ himself. And I I look again at verses 7 through 8. Notice the transition. He starts by talking about what we can find gain in, and then he ends on what we should be finding. In verse 7, once more, Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. And so he starts by saying all these things that could be gained, i counted them as loss. And he doesn't necessarily talk about, well, why? What is the gain then? It's having Christ. When you count those things as lost, as loss, then you can have that gain in Christ. But if you're not willing to do that, you can't have Him. You have, nothing, you have gained nothing in Him because you're not willing to let go of the things, let go of putting confidence in the flesh. I think, we, I think there are many ways we can do this. Maybe we care uh, more just about the trivial knowledge that we have. Maybe I can quote certain parts of the Bible, but am I living that way? Maybe I come from, from a, uh, maybe I'm the son of, of a you know, very highly respected preacher. What does that mean in the grand scheme of things? Are you living the way Christ wants you to? Or are you just putting confidence in the flesh? None of that means anything if we're not running the race with endurance, with an aim, with discipline. We must count all things as lost, view them as what they are, rubbish. And, and I, just like we've been saying this whole time, if we don't, if we're not willing to do that, we will fall, we will fall again and we will find nothing but loss in the end. So we need to be so careful that we don't go down that route. But the the very last point I want to make as we look at making sure that we don't get stuck on living for today is what the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews chapter 3. Because here I think we're given instruction on how we're supposed to be living today. As he is using the, the nation of Israel as they're going through the wilderness and as they really rebel against God when they come up to Canaan when they're going to the promised land they have unbelief and so judgment is going to come on them but look in verse 12 it says take care brethren that there not be in any one of you an evil unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God but encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin for we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end While it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were not able to enter the promised land because of unbelief. They were more than capable. They were more than able they just would not finish the course. They were not willing to go as far as they could have gone. They, weren't, they looked at that goal and it wasn't enough for them. And so what, are, what am I learning from this? Well, just like what Paul said in Philippians 3, that I have not attained it yet. Don't think that I'm saying that. And what does he mean? There's still work to do. This is another way that people live for today by acting like there's not things that God expects from us right now. While it is still called today, what are we supposed to be doing? Are you working to grow into the state of Christian maturity that Paul talks about here in Philippians 3? If not, guess what? It's failure. We won't make it. Are you working specifically to get to our promised land? If If you don't have that goal, failure, Are you working to help your brethren get to the promised land, heaven, the reward? If not, failure. Are we working to get our family members there, the community around us, those that are closest to us? Are we working to make sure that they can get to the promised land? If not, that's a failure. Don't get caught up in the momentary pleasures of this life that you can pursue right now. Don't be distracted by those things. Get caught up. Get distracted in reaching toward that goal. And I'm telling you, I think that it becomes a lot easier. The race becomes a lot easier when we do get excited in that goal. Maybe that's just what's keeping us. Well, just like the Hebrew writer says, while it is still called today, are you willing to correct your life? While it is still called today, are you willing to accept the invitation of Christ? And, and, and that may mean that you're a Christian and maybe you've just gone astray. Maybe you need to make your life right with him once more. Maybe you need the help of the brethren here. We would love nothing more than to assist you. If you're not a Christian, if you haven't done what the king requires of you to be a part of his kingdom, his nation, you can make that right this very morning. Are you willing to hear everything he says? Are you willing to be faithful in it? believe what he says, act on it, repent of the things that he says to do away with every sin, not look back longingly like Lot's wife. Are you willing to confess his name, make a confession based on that belief, and be baptized into his death to rise a newness of life? You can have that salvation this morning. Let's press on to the goal. And if you are subject to that invitation, if we can help you press on by any means, please come forward as we stand and as we sing.